The following sermon was delivered by Senior Pastor Reverend Dr. Scott Black Johnston in the sanctuary of Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City. We welcome you to worship with us every Sunday, in person or on live stream. For details, go to fapc.org. And now, here is Reverend Dr. Scott Black Johnston. Listen close, my friends. Let us listen together to the story we've all come here to hear this day, the story of the first Easter as recorded in the Gospel of John, chapter 20, beginning with the first verse. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I, I do not know where they have laid him. When she'd said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? For whom are you looking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. 
Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. It was still dark when Mary Magdalene arrived at the cemetery. It was still dark, but it wasn't pitch black. Picture, if you will, an impossibly deep shade of turquoise, a Maxfield Parish painting, the dome of heaven trembling with the promise of the dawn. You've seen that sort of sky, right? It's, it's dark, and yet you can walk around outside if you're careful, if you mind your steps. The, the sun hasn't peaked over the horizon, not quite still. The world is changing, almost imperceptibly. Light is coming. Actually, it's already arrived. We know this because Mary can see. The, the good book describes Mary's arrival at the cemetery, the last place she saw Jesus. She stands in front of the tomb where Joseph of Arimathea laid the body of her wise and gentle friend to rest. And there, Mary sees. She sees, the gospel tells us, that the rock sealing the grave against critters and creeps, the, the heavy door that had banged shut on a life so full of kindness and love, so full of God, the stone closing the tomb had been removed. Mary sees this. She sees this and, and she takes off running. The first Easter, as described by John's gospel revolves around these two verbs, seeing and running. Mary sees that the stone has been rolled away and she runs to tell the disciples. Alarmed, the disciples run to the tomb. They do not see a body. They see a neatly folded bedsheet. On spotting this mundane item, one of the disciples believes. Nothing like a freshly made bed to change your way of looking at the world. After seeing this, the disciples run. They run from the tidy tomb. Their feet slap the ground like giddy teenagers. They run from the cemetery. Mary, though, shakes her head. It's hard to see when water pools on the surface of your eyes. It's hard to run when you're crying. There are so many things in this life that can make seeing difficult. Despair can mess with your eyesight. Anger and fear can conjure up mirages. Greed turns us myopic. Heartache looks at everything through gloom-colored glasses. Contempt is worse than cataracts. Afflictions 
of our soul can blur our vision. We cannot see other people clearly. We cannot see ourselves honestly. It's virtually impossible for us to spot goodness or God. And it was still dark when Mary Magdalene arrived at the cemetery. Do you know the name Raymond Carver? Carver was a short story writer, one of America's best. In 1984, he won the Pulitzer Prize in fiction for a collection of stories entitled Cathedral. Carver can be a tough read. <laughs> Critics call his style of writing grim realism. His characters are ordinary folk who sit in ordinary living rooms, smoking, drinking, and slowly grinding each other down. Generally speaking, the people who populate Carver's stories feel mistreated, unappreciated. These folk live in a world devoid of magic absent of hope, they've become bitter. The title story in Carver's most famous collection, Cathedral, describes an evening when a married couple entertains a dinner guest in their home. The guest is an old friend of the hostess and he is blind. The woman's husband, the narrator of the story, doesn't want this fellow to come over for supper He's jealous of his wife's friendship with the blind man, and his snarky comments about the upcoming visit exhaust his wife. She asks her husband to be kind. If you love me, she pleads, you can do this for me. Her husband grumbles and scoffs in response. He cannot appreciate his, his wife's desire for an evening of spirited conversation and laughter. He cannot imagine that anything good might come from this dinner. He cannot see. It was still dark when Mary Magdalene arrived at the cemetery. Bending over, Mary looks in the tomb, blinking back tears, Mary sees angels sitting where Jesus' body once lay. Why are you weeping, they ask, and she responds, are you freaking kidding me? <laughs> no, that's not, of course, what John writes. He casts Mary as honest, but respectful. They've taken away my Lord, they. The violent powers that rob us of life. They, minions of the Grim Reaper who will sooner or later clobber us all. They have taken away my Lord. E even as she speaks these anguished words, Mary feels a tap on her shoulder. Another voice asks, why are you weeping? Mary cannot see who it is. It's the darkness. It's the retinal scars left by Good Friday. It's the soul-sucking grief clouding her soul. Mary blinks. It 
must be the gardener. It's got to be that fellow who, who plants the daffodil bulbs around the tombs and, and trims the grass by the cemetery gate. Do you know, Mary asks, where they have laid my Lord? Show me, she continues. I I'll take care of his body. I don't know how, but I'll do it. I'll cart what's left of Jesus away somewhere far, far away from this world's meanness. Mary's fierce grief hangs in the air. And then a simple and gentle thing happens. Standing among the tombs, the man says her name, Mary. And that's all it takes. Hearing her name spoken in that familiar, tender cadence, Mary's eyes clear, and suddenly she can see. In Raymond Carver's story, Cathedral, the awkward dinner party takes place. After a tense meal and a few rounds of drinks, the hostess falls asleep. The two men are left sitting uncomfortably next to each other on the couch. They're watching TV. Well, one of them is watching. A documentary about cathedrals is airing. And it occurs to the narrator that the blind man must not have the slightest notion of what a cathedral looks like. He, he tries to describe the grand structure that he's seeing on the television, but he, but he can't find good words. And, and this prompts the blind man to ask the narrator if he is, you know, in any way religious. The narrator replies... I guess I don't believe it in anything. Sometimes it's hard. The truth is, cathedrals don't mean anything special to me, nothing. And then a simple and gentle thing happens. The blind man asked the narrator to draw a cathedral. Surprised at this strange request, what's a blind man going to do with a drawing? The narrator nonetheless fetches a ballpoint pen and a, and a brown paper you know, shopping bag from the kitchen. He flattens it out, and the blind man asks to rest his hand on top of the narrator's hand, the one holding the pen. And then the narrator begins to draw. He gets into it. I put in windows with arches. I, I drew flying buttresses. I hung great doors. I couldn't stop. The blind man cheers him on. Put some people in there now. What's, what's a cathedral without people? Their two hands dance across the brown paper. In a world shadowed by despair, they work together to sketch something sacred. This intimate moment lifts the narrator's withered spirit. It, it rolls back a stone in his mind. It, it lets the light in. The ancients call experiences like this an epiphany, a life-changing glimpse of the holy. I was blind, but now I see. Friends, 
I think Easter approaches us like a spiritual optometrist. <laughs> it sits us down in, in a dim room and asks, have you had any trouble with your vision of late? <laughs> Has this sandstorm of a world scarred your lenses? Do you find it difficult to spot goodness or God? It was still dark when Mary Magdalene arrived at the cemetery. This past January, Tim Palmer Curl, director of communications at Fifth Avenue, traveled to Africa to visit one of this church's mission partners, Ministry of Hope in Lesotho. Ministry of Hope is a home that provides physical and emotional nourishment for impoverished and orphaned children. It's an amazing place, a loving way station that builds these kids up before returning them to their families or to adoptive families. This was Tim's third visit to the orphanage and as he tells it, he did not arrive in a good mood. What am I doing here, he wondered grappling with the loss of a beloved niece who was killed in a hit and run. Tim was in a fog. Why have I traveled halfway around the world? I don't have time for this. I don't have the emotional energy for this. And then something simple and gentle happened. Tim explains it this way. It was the children, Scott. The first two times I visited Lesotho, I saw poverty, I saw lack, I wanted to save them, I wanted to bring at least one of them home with me. This time, though, it dawned on me, they are home. They're growing up within an enormous family. They never go to bed hungry. They have clean clothes, a warm bed, people who love and care for them, who get them to school and help them with their studies. So many people looking out for them, praying for them. These kids have everything. The joy and courage of those children, Tim confided, opened something up in me. They helped me see my life in a new way. It's Easter, my friends. On Easter, we learn again to see. <laughs> bit by bit, we grasp that all is not hopeless. God never stops flicking photons into the darkness. Back before Christmas, some of you heard me tell a story about my friend AC. In September, AC was in a horrendous car accident. Multiple injuries, including a broken neck, left her immobilized. AC's family's been great, supportive, fierce, courageous, cheered on by them. AC has been tackling rehab. It's been a slog. So many brutal hours. We measure progress. Her husband, Sean, writes, by millimeters and not yards. 
Recently, though, Sean sent me a video of AC lying on her back on a mat, completing reps of an exercise in which she brings her knees together repeatedly while hype music is in the background keeping the beat. Watching, I laughed. I turned to my wife and exclaimed, look at this. Millimeters, not yards. Photon by photon. Easter makes its way into the world. I know, my friends, that the arrival of the light can seem slow, but it is inexorable, unstoppable. The dawn is coming, and this simple, gentle truth shoots adrenaline into the faithful. Easter gets us running around, doing the silliest, most life-affirming things. By now, many of you know that at some point on Easter, you're laughing already, my phone rings. When I pick it up, a voice with no introduction, no pleasantries of any kind declares Jesus is on the loose and the next sound I hear is the click of the connection ending I know who it is it's my roommate from seminary it's his quirky way of saying Christ is risen <laughs> over the years other friends have joined the tradition now I get all sorts of texts and emails declaring Jesus is on the loose. Some of you in the middle of the night last night. I need my, I need my Easter sleep and my phone's buzzing. Jesus is on the loose. It wouldn't be Easter for me without this wild, joyful chorus. And you know what? I think all that rambunctious joy can be traced back to Mary Magdalene. It was still dark when Mary Magdalene arrived at the cemetery. It was still dark, but it wasn't pitch black. Picture, if you will, an impo impossibly deep shade of turquoise, a Maxfield Parish painting, the dome of heaven, trembling with the promise of the dawn. The sun hadn't peaked over the horizon, not quite. Still, the world was changing, almost imperceptibly. Light is coming. We know this because Mary can see. She sees that the stone has been rolled away. She sees angels sharing a cup of coffee in the empty tomb. And then she hears a familiar voice call her name. At this epiphany, Mary laughs. She recognizes God's most tender truth. What's that? Well, you heard the text. Mary runs a second time to the disciples. Arriving at their hidey hole, she declares, I have seen the Lord. It's Easter, my friends. See and run, run and see. Jesus is on the loose. 
So this morning at about 7.30 a.m., I took an Uber to church, and you're going to think I'm lying. So I took a screenshot of this, and I sent it to my wife, so I've got proof. I looked down to see who my Uber driver was, 4.98 stars, and in big block letters it said, Jesus. <laughs> I laughed. Friends, go from this place into a glorious Easter, see and run, run and see Jesus really is on the loose. Amen. We hope this sermon has been meaningful to you and given you a measure of hope, encouragement, and good news. If you would like to make a donation to support this audio ministry, please visit fapc.org give. Thank you and blessings to you on this day.